Father, we love you. Our hope is you. Our hope is in the gospel. Lord Jesus, you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness. May we access that more and more every day. God, I thank you for the power of your word that is alive, changes hearts, it changes our lives, it gives us direction, it gives us everything we need. Open our hearts today to what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. How many know people who are just really blunt, to the point, black and white type people, right? Aren't they annoying? I'm just kidding. Um, but when somebody that is black and white, blunt, to the point, direct, when they are being that in love and by the Spirit, it's super helpful, isn't it? Jesus is, was the master of being blunt and direct and black and white, but always in love. And in such a way, it causes change, caused change in people's lives. And I, th- I find it helpful when people are direct with me, you know, and, and, and the, the key is to be humble, to be teachable, right? But James is Jesus' half-brother, and so we are in the book of James in this series called Down to Earth Faith. James is super practical, but he's blunt. He is very, very direct. Maybe it's an all-in-the-family kind of deal there, but... I think today's passage that we're reading might be the most blunt of all in this letter that James wrote. He wrote a letter, he calls it to the 12 scattered tribes. And so maybe it's, you know, there is that Jewish flavor, him being Jewish, and that Jewish flavor to Jewish believers. But we know that something was going on that was disorder in these churches and in the people he wanted to to, to correct and, and give direction to. And so before we read the passage, I want to ask you a question to think about. Do you find yourself today in conflict with somebody? There's conflict in, in the marriage, maybe at home, kids, parents, parents to kids. Um, maybe today as well, you find yourself just in an inner turmoil. Do you find yourself just kind of struggling? I want to say... Listen up today. There's a tendency when we hear a message that's convicting or convincing, or we hear a message and we tend to think, I just wish so-and-so was here. I wish so-and-so would listen. I'm getting them, have them listen to the podcast. Um, Maybe you're elbowing your spouse like, hey, are you listening? But the deal is, listen for yourself today only. Tune out that, that temptation to think of somebody and think of somebody else and think of yourself, okay? James 4, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read 10 verses. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? 
Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. It's pretty blunt. I have to admit to you, I had written an outline for this message weeks ago. And so this week I came to kind of start looking at what I had written and, and thinking it through, and um, the Lord just said, no, that's not what I want you to do. And that's not fun when you've prepared and have all this, you know, I got to start all over. But I'm so glad that he did that for me and it, that he did that for us because here's what I saw, okay? Here's what I saw when I tuned in to this passage. It's on your notes and it'll be on the screen. There is a tug of war in all of us. That's what I saw. There's a tug of war, this battle within ourselves, with God, and with others. And highly probable, you're feeling all three of those tug of wars in your life right now. There's internal, outward with others, and even upward with God. There's, there's a tug of war that's going on. We're either in all three or at least experiencing one of them. Now, when I think of tug of war, um, I think of kids. I think of this, right? Tug of war, going to my kids' field day, and they would do all their little races and things, and then we'd get towards the end, and they would have a tug of war with each other. It was so cute, blah, blah, blah. And then they would let the parents come in, and we would have tug of war with, with the kids, right? And so we would pretend like they were, they were you know, winning, and we'd struggle back and forth. Sorry to bust any of your bubbles in here, but you were, and then all of a sudden we would go, whoop, and we'd let go, and boom, 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 they would all fall back like dominoes. It's almost like they were anticipating that. They're like, are they going to do it now? But it, did you know that tug of war actually used to be an Olympic sport? Up until 1905, they, we, tug of war was an Olympic sport. The U.S. has two gold medals in the tug of war. We're, we're one, one gold medal behind Great Britain. They have three. And they stopped doing the tug of war as, a, as an Olympic um, thing about 1905, right in that area. And I was thinking about this, just giving you that visual picture there, that if relational tug of war was an Olympic sport, some of you would get gold medals. True? Yeah, just be honest. The tug of war is real. It's inside us it's within ourselves, it's in our marriage, it's in our parenting, it's kids to parents. Tug of war, always, who's going to be right? Who's going to get their way? Back and forth, back and forth. So look at, let's look at these three tug of wars that happen. First of all, let's answer the question, why is there a tug of war within ourselves? Why do we do that? There's a restlessness that happens on the inside of us. Because we're fill, filled often with fear, guilt and shame, um, doubt, 
You know, we struggle with these things, these negative emotions that take over on the inside, and, and we feel that. Some things that James pointed out of why there is a tug of war within ourselves, first of all, he says, we want what we don't have. There's a tug of war inside of us because we want what we don't have. We get fixated on something we don't have, and we think we need that to be happy. In order to really be fulfilled, if I just had that, I'd be happy. The BBD, right? The bigger, better deal. We're always looking for the bigger, better deal. In Exodus chapter 20, you find the Ten Commandments. And when you look at the Ten Commandments, Jesus summarized the Ten Commandments and all the commandments when he said, love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God is the first four of the commandments. The second six are about loving your neighbor as yourself, getting along with others. And so there's honor your father and mother, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't lie. And then the 10th commandment just kind of says, oh, and don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Don't covet what somebody else has. Don't want that so much in your heart. And that's there to just kind of say, like, expose to all of us that we often want what we don't have and we don't see God as our ultimate source. Second thing James points out of why there's a tug of war within is we have desires that are out of control. Desires gone wild. <laughs> and it, it's just, we have the desire to have stuff as we just talked about. We have the desire to feel, the desire to have pleasure in our life. And we desire to be something or be somebody. And Inside of us, we want people's approval. We want their acceptance. We want to be thought well of. And so that causes that internal battle that he talks about. We have the desire for instant gratification. Boom, boom, I need it now, I need it now, I need it now. And then he says that we're double-minded. We're double-minded. The word double-minded is only used twice in all of the Bible, and it's only in the book of James. He uses it in chapter 1, and he used it here in chapter 4. To be double-minded is to vacillate between two opinions, vacillate between two thoughts, faith in doubt, vacillate between two worlds, live in one world, like live in, I'm going to obey God and trust God, no, I'm going to call my own shots, and I'm going to do my own thing and live my own way. That back and forth is what he calls double-minded. It's like being a Cubs fan and a Rockies fan at the same time. Like, it's double-minded. That was supposed to get a laugh. I know that was a serious moment. It actually is true, and I'll talk about it later. Me and Steve Mattis will talk to you about it. But the truth is, when you go back and forth, I'm in the world I'm following God. I'm in the world. I'm doing the world, worldly things. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow God. That's double-minded. And I want to say this. You may be thinking to yourself today, well, Scott, I, I struggle with doubt. So do all of us. Struggling with doubt and having some of those negative things are a normal part of walking with God, a normal part of living. And, and I believe this with all my heart, that Novation Church is a safe place for people to work out their faith. We've intentionally tried to create an environment that people who've been hurt by church, not sure what they believe, et cetera, can come get it figured out. But you got to believe, right? And, and it's, a, it's a place where believers can grow in their faith and get strengthened and help one another. But 
I would be not serving you well today if I didn't tell everybody in this room there has to come a place in your life where you make a decision that you are going to walk with Jesus. A decision point, a decisive moment. I don't care if there's drama involved or, or if it's a process to get to that, but have you got to that point where you said, I'm in, I'm with him. I'm giving him all my fears, doubts, and all. I'm with him. Because walking with him is going to create doubts. Life's going to not always go the way you thought it was going to go. It's easy to become double-minded. I'll tell you this. The most miserable person in the world is the person who has followed Jesus or knows God but is running from him. When you're disobeying God on purpose or plugging your ears to what he has to say, trying to run your own life, that person is the most miserable. The person that's never known God or known the love of God, they're just doing what comes natural. But when someone gets touched by the gospel or they get moved by God and they're running from him, that person's miserable. Okay, second question. Why is there a tug of war with others? He says, you know, what causes these fights? What causes these quarrels? The first thing James pointed out was we want our own way. The reason there's fights and quarrels and tug of war going on with others is because we want our own way. I learned years ago um, about understanding that when we get frustrated with people, we are often frustrated with people because they're blocking a goal that you have. And that could be from the simplest thing of someone's driving in the fast lane slow and you're in a hurry. They're blocking your goal to get to where you need to be because you're running late. But it can also be in a marriage situation. If you, you desire to have a good marriage, but if your spouse isn't cooperating, then they're blocking your goal. If you desire to save money and the family or the spouse or whatever is spending money, you're, but someone's blocking your goal. You understand what I'm saying? So blocked goals cause the most frustration. Pa kids to parents. When your parents tell you to do something or not to do that you don't want to do, they're blocking your goal. And so you get frustrated with your parents. And so to understand that is so important. Um, Darcy and Annette, will you come up here? You could come up this way. Frank Ponting is a gym teacher, and so he brought me a tug-of-war rope today. So you, st you stay there, Annette, Darcy, come down here. I just want to give you something. I'm sure you've never had conflict in your marriage. You guys have been married for a long time, right? Never had a tug-of-war. Will you pick, pick, up, pick up this rope? Okay. So, yeah, when couples, friends, whoever, get into a tug-of-war, like, don't embarrass him, but tug a little bit. Tug. She already won. Smart man. Hey, you have been married a long time. Next time that you get in a fight in your marriage and you're quarreling or you're quarreling with somebody, Picture, like, tug a little bit. Make it tight. Just a little tug. Okay. Woo. Darcy, you're strong. One-handed. Give it up for these guys. Thank you. Perfecto. I just wanted that illustration to be in your mind the next time you're in that tug of war 
with, with somebody in your life that you remember what that looks like. So James says the reason we are in a tug of war with others is because we want our own way. And the second thing that he basically says is we use people and we love things rather than love people and use things. Say that again. We use people, we have a tendency to use people, and then we love things rather than what we're supposed to do of loving people and using things. Now, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. There's nothing wrong with having nice stuff. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the God-given pleasures of life. To his glory and within his parameters, we're free to enjoy what God's given us. But when things and pleasure become the number one goal of our life, you're going to find yourself in a tug of war with somebody because you're going to come across as irresponsible or you're going to come across as inconsiderate, and then boom, tug of war, tug of war. The third question to ask ourselves is, why is there a tug of war with God? And that might be you today. Why is there a tug of war in our minds with God? Uh, Carson and Bryson and Joel and, and Dennis White, will you come up here? As they're making their way up here, who's going to win a tug of war against God? You two go down here. <laughs> Who's going to win a tug of war here? Is your money on these guys? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, when, when we went to D the Dominican the second time, these two guys plus Joel Dennis and Patrick, and I mean, we have some big dudes in our church. We look like an offensive line walking into this, you know, sugarcane village. And, you know, Joel is, he's an athlete, uh, Dennis is an athlete, and he's a big guy. These guys are going to be big and strong guys, but in our, go ahead and grab the rope. Just remember that there's stuff on stage, nobody gets hurt here. Okay, you guys, give it your best tug. Come on, just don't fall into the communion table. Keep going. He's got one hand. <laughs> All right, perfect. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Told you you didn't have to say anything. They do have good haircuts. That's what it's like when we're, when we're mad at God. And, and don't get me wrong, there are times where we get frustrated because we don't understand the beginning from the end. You get yourself in a tug of war with God, you're not gonna win. We're going to lose all the time. Why is there a tug of war with God? Well, James says it's because we don't pray. <laughs> you have not because you ask not. That's convicting. Why am I frustrated? Well, have I talked to God about it? Have I included God into my situation? Have I included him in my life? Have I included him in my decisions? And you're going to get yourself in a tug of war with God if you don't include him and seek him. When I try to be the boss of my own life, I'm going to be in a tug of war with the Almighty. And he's infinity and O, and he will never lose, right? The second thing James says is that we ask with the wrong motives. We want instant answers. We have a health problem, God, now. Money problem, now. 
Relational problem. Now, instant, 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 instant. And we have to always check the motives of our heart. Guys, I was so convicted I was, as I was rewriting this. I was, I'm talking to me today. I'm not talking down to one person in this room. And I realize how, how quickly we want God to do things our way. Then you're in that tug of war with him. I think God as a father likes to wrestle with his kids sometimes. But he's going to win. Here's a question that came to my mind, two questions. What do you find yourself praying about the most? And who do you pray for the most? If all your prayers and talking to God are just your list of things that you want him to do, you're, you're missing the, the, so much more to what communion with God is really about. I'm guilty of it. Do you pray for yourself more than you pray for other people? Try flipping that around. Try to begin to focus on the needs of other people and see what God will do in your life. The third reason that we are in a tug of war with God is we seek fulfillment from the wrong sources. He said, you adulterous people, adultery is cheating on your spouse. He says, you adulterous people, you're you're cheating on God, so to speak, by being a friend of the world. Now, we have to understand what that doesn't mean, because he says, friendship with the world is enmity against God. It doesn't mean the people of this world. For God so loved the world, right? He gave his one and only son. So God loves the world. We are to love the people of this world. When you look at the Greek of of, of this, the, in the New Testament, there's several words for world. We have one word, and it, you can use it in diff, many different ways, but there's the, a word for the earth, there's the word for people, and there's a word for the world's system, the ways of the world, the way the world acts, and it's really this fallen world. It's not the redeemed world, it's, it's the fallen, sinful human heart that he says, don't have friendship with the world. Don't act and think like the world does. And you might think, well, what does that mean? What does that really look like? Well, 1 John 2.15, if you're writing, taking notes, 1 John 2.15 and 16 gives a perfect biblical definition of what it means, of what it means to be, you know, love the world. He says, do not love the world or the things of this world, He says, he goes on to say that, first of all, it's the lust of the flesh. It's the lust of the flesh that just says, get it now. Instant gratification. The lust of the flesh. I got it. When you and I are are acting worldly or or getting, you know, sucked into the ways of the world, it's I got to get it now. More, 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 and I got to have it. It's the lust of the flesh. Then he says, it's the lust of the eyes. And you know what lust really is? Lust is is an out-of-control desire for something that, that's taboo to you, something that you're not supposed to have. That's why pornography is so wrong, because uh, the person in, in the picture or whatever it is, you're violating somebody there. That's somebody's daughter. That's God's kid. And so when we, when we entertain that, we're, we're wanting something that's not ours. That could not, not just be sex. It can be money, somebody else's you know, stuff or whatever, and we get the lust of the eyes is, I need more, I need more, I need more. 
And then he says that it's the pride of life is with a worldly way of thinking, to not act like the world. The pride of life, it's the boasting of what I have and what I do. It's finding your identity in your success, your looks, your money, finding your identity in anything other than God is worldly thinking. It's worldly ways. God wants us to find our identity in Him and Him alone. Then we'll see life differently. We'll see our stuff. We'll see people, etc. So how do we stop the tug of war? The tug of war inside of you, the tug of war with others, and the tug of war with God. I would say this. If I'm in a tug of war with myself or others or God, here's the answer. Let go of it. Let go of the rope. Stop playing tug of war. How do we do that? What does that look like? Well, I think it's the word humility. That's what James teaches us. Humility is the only way to stop the tug of war within. It's the only way to stop the tug of war with others and with God. In verse 6, he said, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble or grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. God opposes, you become the opponent of God when you say, I'm going to do life my way. I'm going to make my own choices. I'm going to keep God out of it. We're his opponent. Again, he's an infinity and O, right? You don't want to be God's opponent. But it says that he gives grace to the humble. He's quoting one of the Proverbs here. And grace and the favor of God comes when we humble ourselves before God. And then it, the grace is really the power to do what you could never do on your own. Work out that inner struggle, the struggle with others. That only, you, you need grace. And God says when you humble yourself, he'll give you the grace. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourself. Humility is something that the Lord Jesus modeled perfectly. Though he was he was God. He, he stepped into the time and space and came as a, a little babe and then grew. I mean, he humbled himself. He's the perfect example of humility. The one who acknowledges their inability, the one who acknowledges that they, they can't do life on their own, the, the, the person that trusts God, that, that obeys God, puts his principles into practice, that's the humble person. The person that stays vitally connected to Jesus. Because Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Stay connected to me. Today, you're in a tug of war because you haven't stayed connected to Christ. Through his word, through obedience, through prayer, through being with other believers consistently, you're not connected. And Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Stay connected to him. That's that humility. It's, it's a proper understanding of the creator-creation relationship. He's the creator. I'm the creation. Therefore, I'm subject to him. He's not subject to me, right? When we get that, we're walking in humility. Four things that we need to do to stop this tug of war that James told us here. First of all, give in to God. Some of us just need to give in to God. Submit yourselves then to God. To submit means to come under the covering, to come under God's covering, come under his authority, come under his lordship in your life. 
If you're not doing that, and when we fail to do that, that's when we find chaos in our life. And listen, none of us do that perfect. We have a, a tug of war between, you know, walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. It's a choice every day. Come under his, let him have control of your life. Stop trying to run your own life. Secondly, give no place to the devil. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The devil wants you in a tug of war. He wants you in one of those tug of wars or all three of them. As a matter of fact, if you're saying, yes, I'm in a tug of war today, he's behind it. I promise you he's behind it. And he says, he doesn't say yell at the devil and he'll flee from you. He doesn't say shout and jump up and down. He says resist him. Don't let him push you. Don't let him push you around. When I'm tugging on that rope, I'm giving place to the devil. But let's never forget, the, the, Jesus said that the devil is a liar, that he's a thief, that he's an accuser, that he's an intimidator. Are you hearing any of those thoughts in your mind ever of, of, of lying, accusing? He wants to ruin your life. He wants to intimidate you. And he's a deceiver. He doesn't come with a pitchfork and a scary face and horns. He comes as the angel of light, and he brings deception with him. I've heard people say crazy things before. People who say they're followers of Jesus, and they get into a tough time in their marriage, and they say, you know what, I feel like God wants me happy. I'm going to leave my spouse. No, that wasn't God that said that. That was Satan that said that. We can be deceived. We have to guard our hearts and our minds from his schemes and deception. Third thing is get closer to God. You want to let go of the tug of war? Get closer to God. Come near to God and he will come near to you. The fact is, the closer I get to God, the more I become like him. The more you get close to God, the more you will be like him in your character and your behavior. One of my favorite uh, descriptions of the Lord in the Old Testament, mostly in the Psalms, is the Lord is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. He's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. The more you and I get close to God, the more gracious we'll be, the more compassionate we'll be. You know, rich in love will be the character of God will show in our lives. Fourth thing is this. If you want to let go of the rope, you got to grieve over your sin. Your sin my sin got me in the tug of war in the first place. When you're in a tug of war of some sort, you, we have to learn what it means to grieve over our sin. He says something pretty tough here. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. God does not want you and I to wink at sin. He doesn't want us to sweep it under the rug. He doesn't want us to play games and pretend. And so you and I, if we're children of God, when we sin, when we're in a tug of war with somebody else and we're speaking to somebody the way we shouldn't, doing the things that we, we shouldn't be doing, there should be a, a quickening in our hearts. It's a conviction that says, no, stop doing that. And then we grieve over it. We don't want to sin. We don't want to 
disobey the Lord. What he's talking about here, this is a good grief. <laughs> this is a good kind of grief. It's a sign that you're his child. Years ago, I heard a message by a southern pastor, and the title of the message was Sick Dogs and Dirty Hogs. Isn't that a killer message? Sick Dogs and Dirty Hogs. And he was preaching out of 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 22, where Peter quotes the proverb, as a, a fool returns to his folly like a dog returns to his vomit, or like a pig plays in the mud. That's the essay translation, the Scott Applegate version. But you know what I'm saying. And the guy preached on sick dogs and dirty hogs, and he said something that stuck with me and has stuck with me forever, that he said, a child of God lapses into sin and hates it. You and I in this life are going to lapse into sin. It's, there's no way around it. But when we do, even when you make that choice to sin, all of us would be foolish to say we don't make choices to sin. We do. But is there a conviction in your heart that says, no, stop, restore, repent, come back to God? There has to be that in our lives. He said a child of God lapses into sin and hates it. He said a child of the devil leaps into sin and loves it. They have no conscience. They don't care. They go do whatever they want to do, and there's, there's no, you know, nothing in their heart that changes. So we got to apply the gospel. When we grieve over our sin, apply the gospel. Jesus Christ, as we're going to celebrate in the communion table, he died for us. He, di he came and lived a perfect life and died a brutal death so that we could be right with God. And I would say this as we, as we move into to taking communion together. Which one of these three tug of wars are you in right now? And will you let go of the rope? Will you just say today, Lord, I'm letting go of the rope? Because I think so often I'm feeling this in my heart for a lot of us that we're in strife with one another. We're in strife with the workplace, strife at home, strife in a lot of inner strife. And God wants us to let go of that strife and then strive to become godly. Strive to become closer to him in our relationships. Come under his lordship. And I can't think of a perfect, more perfect way to respond to the message that James gave us today. And he took us to the woodshed, right? But there's, a, there's forgiveness, there's mercy, there's newness because of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the, the, the confessing of sin is not for God to check it off his list. It's for you to clean your heart, for you to get that poison out of there, so to speak. Communion is an opportunity for us to say, I'm letting go of the rope today. I'm getting off this tug of war. Communion is Jesus' gift is of reminding us of how much he loved us and what he did for us to set us free and for us to find new strength, new power because of what he's done for us. And if you come and take the bread and the cup today, you're saying, I'm with him. I'm gonna forsake a life of selfishness and sin and follow after him. And when I blow it, I'm gonna come back to him again and again and again and again. And I'm gonna lean on him. I'm gonna put my hope in him and him alone.